everyone and welcome back to your Coaches on the Couch. I'm Louise and I'm Rachel and we're really pleased to be joined this morning by not one but two people, uh, two directors of Orms Architects, John McRae and Colin McCall. And morning John and Colin, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks guys, really good to see you. Um, obviously before we move on to these really good leadership stories which I know we're going to hear from you guys, most important question, please tell us a story from your couch. Well, I think that um, it's one of the most toughest questions I've been asked in recent times, but um, my couch has a secret compartment for gin and tonics. Ah, oh, nice. Um, my kind of couch. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly the most important aspect when you're specifying furniture, I think, um, particularly in these times. No, I, it's just um, a little bit more on it was that the, the uh, couch is a lot smaller than where it used to used to have one. and. Uh, I found a little nook that my wife keeps finding my glasses tucked away underneath underneath the couch after another <laughs> tough days. Your gin and tonic glass or your Yeah, glass no, the gin glasses. and tonic one, yeah, sadly. So but I don't know what that tells you about me, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> Thanks. And John? Hmm, yeah, maybe not uh, quite as uh, alcohol fueled as, as Collins. Um <laughs> no, we, we nickname our our one the slouch couch. When when we moved into our, our current home. We refurbished it uh, probably about five years ago now. And one of the bugbears that uh, my wife and I, and my wife is an interior designer, that we both have is that couches are always either too deep or too shallow. And so we designed our own one to fit the pair of us so that we could actually slouch in it. Now, that doesn't happen very often, obviously, as this morning, but. Um, the idea was that uh, with the, the Ottoman, we could literally put our feet up. So with an eight-year-old daughter running around the, well, at least 12 hours a day, you know, we wanted our, our own moment to slouch. <laughs> so, we ended up, yeah, so we ended up designing it ourselves and um, we, the, the, the materials used were actually inspired by the, the trees directly outside the window. So it's, you'll see from the image, it's very colorful uh slouch couch well i'm looking forward to that okay so excellent so i'm just going to give our listeners a little bit of background on orms you're a 75 strong architectural practice based in shoreditch and your work includes several familiar landmarks that people may not know are your work such as the outernet in london's west end three broadgate and number one new oxford street and you, John, my research tells me, joined Orms in 1997 as a director of the practice and a trustee of the Employment Ownership Trust, which we're going to come on to talk about a bit more. Uh, you've most recently led the team that worked on the fabulous new standard hotel in King's Cross, uh, which has just been shortlisted for an RIBA award. So congratulations for that. And I understand that you've just submitted a planning application for a 430 bed hotel at the former Central St. Martin site in Holborn. And we look forward, all of us, mm. I'm sure, to the opening party, because <laughs> the standard one. Uh, and Colin, you joined Orms in 2011 and became a director in 2017. And you've been, I think, uh, responsible for a number of the firm's education projects, including the, again, award-winning science building at Uppingham School, and currently working on a number of mixed-use schemes in central London, including, I believe, uh, a project on the Strand for Duchy of, of Lancaster. 
And just, just back on Orms a little bit, I know that back in 2018, the practice transferred the majority ownership of Orms across to an employee ownership trust, something that we know many other practices are either in the process of doing or they're thinking about. Um, and certainly I know from my own experience with previous employers who had a similar sort of setup, that the process of getting to that is in itself quite involved. And then even after that, there's quite a shift that comes with it in terms of culture and, and ways of thinking. So really interesting topic, and I think probably interesting to our uh, listeners. And it's where we intend to focus, certainly the start of the conversation today. So maybe we could begin by, John, maybe if we kick off with you, just talking about some of the shifts in thinking that have been needed to support this transition and maybe a little bit of the time since coming across to an employee ownership trust. Yeah, no, thank you, Rachel. I think um, maybe one of the, maybe one of the th first things that's worth touching on, and it was very elo eloquently put that I've been here since uh, 1997. Yes, it's an awfully long time and probably unusually I've gone from uh, part one student to director um, you know, in that period of time. And, and I suppose in this day and age, it's, probably quite an unusual career path. But I think it's been important that as a practice, um, evolution rather than revolution has been a, a key phrase and you know, how the practice has continued to, to strive even through you know, very challenging times. And I think you mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier that the move to an employee ownership trust was one that wasn't taken lightly and it was one that did actually take a long period of time. So the gestation period was, uh, I think, at least two years um, before actually you know, making that move across. Now, you may ask, why, why on earth is that? You know, take, does it take so long? I think the, the biggest challenge that um, you face is that moving from you know, a private limited company of which they were at the, the point of EOT, sort of you know, two, we're just about to make more directors. There were sort of two equity directors that you know, were seen to lead and run the, the, the business. To shift that into an EOT where it's a group of people, a collaborative group of people, there is quite a significant amount of discussion and lead up into what is an EOT? What does it actually mean? What does it do? And what's it going to look like? And that's what you know, we took a long time speaking to uh, associate directors, the directors, the, um, the senior management team, and just understanding and explaining to them you know, what, what they felt about it, how we saw it working, and what we thought the benefits would be. Because there are, I think there are significant benefits, and I think Colin, it's probably, it's probably fair to say that you found it quite... Uh, challenging to understand what an EOT you know, would mean because you, know, you were obviously very used to how the practice had been run. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a new model that, as John says, allows evolution of a business. And if business is a journey, you know, evolution on that journey is kind of a key factor in it. And um, I think if you're brought up, you know, in, in an understanding, a more traditional sort of business model and you know I, before joining Orms yeah I ran my own my, I ran my own business to you, you do need to um, like anything you know work work at um, and learn the new the new new norm as it were and I think that the EO, 
the EOT, um, once you understand the sort of more collaborative nature of it, really allows your, you personally, and I think our business, to express ourselves in a much more positive way. And when people, when the light bulb comes on with your fellow members of staff around that concept, it's, it's really rather, it's personally rewarding, but it then sort of benefits the business because you get, you know, sort of more engagement and, you know, ho hopefully better, uh, you know, uh, results for your, for your clients. So you're talking about a real sort of shift in consciousness, really, that people need to go on a, on a bit of an internal journey to shift their consciousness away from a more traditional model to the EOT model, because there's quite a lot to learn, isn't there, about, about the consequences and impacts that that has on you as an individual. I'm thinking about yeah, your I think team. The, I think this is an interesting you know, point, because whilst we you know there were you know, two directors leading the practice, and you, know, you may argue that it was more of a, a pyramid-shaped you know, structure, we did actually work you know, very collaboratively as it was, but I don't think that that was necessarily consciously seen by the rest of the team or the office. And I think moving to the EOT, um, and I think this is where people do struggle with it, is an EOT still needs leadership. So it doesn't mean that the directors are not leading the business. What it, what it means is there are still leaders, but in terms of decision making and how you evolve things, it's more of a collective effort and it's more of a collective that is informing those decisions. It's not just one or two people deciding that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and I think that, that was probably one of the, the biggest shifts that we've been working on in, you know, in the two years that uh, we've been you know, moving to the EOT and you know, the, the step up program that we worked on you know, with you was part of that evolution because I think the biggest mindset uh, shift that I, I, I think we've experienced is that it's, uh, it's about you know, giving space to people to grow their, their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own profile and their own purpose within the EOT. And I think that's the bit that we're, we're going to continue to work on over the next few years because it's, it's not overnight. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think it's something you just go, right, well, that's completed that now. You know, it, it's like many aspects, I guess, in leadership in that you, you know, sometimes that's the hardest bit and you, you have to make sure you're always making space to encourage everyone to come along the same journey with you. And, um, you know, uh, as John was saying, you know, with, with the programme that we worked on with yourselves um, and the wider, um, what is now called leadership team instead of senior management team is, is actually a really important uh, shift, you know, yes, we manage the business, but leading and managing are, you know, important but different. And I think that for me, that was another key evolution in the EOT transition where we now refer to ourselves consciously as leadership team, as well as maybe the subconscious actions that we are taking and the messages that we then obviously then push out to to our wider, our wider team, which is obviously really important. It's really interesting that sort of the collective, because I remember when we first started working with you with Step Up, we had a lot of conversations around sort of different frameworks that companies use for goals and planning and those sorts of things. And you were very strong on the sort of concept of cascading, cascading meaning rather than cascading goals, which I know comes from a, 
a book that we've all read, that sort of Nine Lies About Work. And I'm wondering at the moment, that sort of cascading meaning, while everyone's more dispersed in their homes and... Clearly working from home has, well, I think it has a lot of advantages, but um, the sort of collaborative nature of a studio is, is clearly not there. We, we're very fortunate that we have you know, a proactive leadership team. We also have Employee Ownership Council. Um, and a number of other uh, mentoring programs around the, around the practice that connect us together. So, so um, as well as our sort of weekly uh, Monday morning meeting where we sort of collectively mm. get together to, you know, sort of update each other on the day-to-day bit -day of our business. Um, the number of other sort of more social activities and masterclass activities that happen that um, ensure that, you know, that our messages are as best as we can being communicated, uh, you know, throughout the organization. And I think I've been really, you know, sort of pleasantly surprised, I suppose. I, I was worried about that yeah. not working as well. And it's, it's certainly not perfect. And again, it keeps evolving, which is nice. Um, but it, it's been really great, you know, so we, we have three virtual pubs that we drop into on a Friday evening. And um, it's great, you can just catch up with your colleagues and understand you know where their pressures are and you know that's what we're all about in arms is you know sort of supporting each other so those sorts of things are really important and i think that works quite well in in terms of the overall concept of eot the eot i think that there's an important thing to to add to this part of the discussion which is we all knew each other before we went into this and and i think that puts a slightly different take on the question i i think if if we if this was how our business had been set up from day one, it would be a very, very different business, I think. And I think we also, we know at some point, and we're, we're starting to, to do it now, and uh, the first group of people are coming back in about a week and a half's time, that we will be coming back together in part and eventually in full. So I, I think, Yes, we're finding mechanisms to keep the collaboration and interaction going. But I think if this was a permanent thing, I think there would be significant challenges around how you keep the culture and collaboration going through the longer term, because the, the group interaction is, is very difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, there's, only so, there's, there's only so many people you can have on a Zoom call or a Teams call. Um, it, it's, it has its purpose and I think as Colin says it works for catch-ups it works for focused design reviews does it, does it make up for those in-between moments those as you call it the, the coffee point mm. moments no yeah. it, it, just, it just doesn't yeah I think that's right the soft power of studio life is something that you don't necessarily notice until it's not there if I, if I can say it like that it's, it's, it's a very it's a very strong visceral draw in terms of the way that we are as architects. And um, uh, yeah, that I think, you know, we've had, we're having and had some conversations about, you know, what is the, you know, what is the purpose of our office going forward in this uh, sort of new, new place we find ourselves in. And, and that is, that's, that's for me a sort of key touch point of, you know, the culture of our business has to sort of be in our office. Yeah, because one, one of the key things when we moved to Oliver's Yard, which was about five or six years ago, one of the big things that we did was the pin-up spaces uh, behind the desks and how we displayed work and how we interacted was done in such a way that you were 
subconsciously, you know, seeing what others were up to. Um, so you could see details, you could see how designs were evolving, you could you know, interact or, or hear phone calls going on. Whereas obviously that doesn't happen in this sort of uh, temporary virtual world that we're in. And I think one of the biggest you know, challenges that we, we would see in a longer term is, especially the, let's say the younger people within the office is, how do they pick up the little things that go on? Because there's so much learning goes on when you're just alongside people. Um, uh, my first job before I went to university, I was sat next to a really experienced architect uh, who started the day at his drawing board with this massive blank A0 sheet. And I was sat on the equally massive drawing board with my A3 sheet. And by the end of the day, I'd managed to draw a one to five detail and he had set out the whole complex of this master plan. Now by you know, 5.30, it was ready to be dye line printed. And you were just watching his technique. Every line meant something. You know, and I'm sort of trying to work out, well, what, what does that line mean? Why am I using that pen? And he's just, the experience was just there. And just watching that and asking, oh, what, what's that? Why have you added that? That's the bits that you, I think, are missing now. It's that mentoring, isn't it? The, the, both the, uh, the top mentoring and, as you say, John, the just watching and absorbing like a sponge. And um, you're, you're absolutely right. That's, that is missing. I've spoken to at least one architect, not, not at Orms, I hasten to add, who said that she felt that her development, her professional development, had been stalled. Um, because she was receiving instructions um, for work to do, but she wasn't getting that kind of learning by osmosis that has actually cropped up in several of these conversations that we're having with people now. So uh, it's a good job that we're not thinking of this as permanent. But you said, John, that you, if you were setting it up from the start in this situation, many things would be different. And I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit. Is there anything in particular you think would be different that comes to mind? The use of technology would obviously have a significant influence on how you would set up a practice if you were to, to do it from scratch. And the lack of or the, the different types of social interaction, I think, would mean that you would have to be in a much more structured uh, way of working. I think you would have to have a much more, well, you, you may argue that you would have to have a more individual way of working because there would be longer periods of time where you're not working you know, together on screen. So I think, that, to my mind, um, how you create a collective around that, I think would be really quite challenging. And you know, that as, as we've just been discussing, those in-between moments, you know, how would you replicate that? So. I suppose the question would be, would the practice be a very more structured, mechanistic, technical profile than, than what we have now? Yeah, we're more a studio culture, aren't we? An atelier sort of that, in that tradition. I think you're right, John. I think the, it could become more process driven and you have to work against that, you know, and work hard to balance that. And, and I think in the, in the piece that we're doing on Workplace and we're looking at our own studio is there could be a really interesting balance of retaining an element of uh, home or local working 
um, but then there are periods that are you know, studio based. Now they, they may be different. No, and I think that's what we're starting to explore is if, if the studio doesn't, uh, let's say have 60, fixed, uh, 60, 70 fixed desks, how would that space be used differently? What are the things that it would be used for? And how does that support our culture? How does that support the betterment of the work that we do? Because I think that's, that's going to be the key thing because you know, there'll be lots of uh, gimmicks that appear over the next few weeks, I'm sure. But it's, it's what works with your business. What is the purpose of the office? How does it help you express your business? And I think that those are the things that we are currently uh, discussing and exploring to see is is there an opportunity for us to do something different within the studio environment or do we just keep with we've got 70 desks um, we think there is a slightly different model but it has to work with what we believe in and I think it, uh, probably fair to say Colin I, I don't think we believe in 100% no virtual office no I don't think so I mean I think it's, um, you know, the forced working from home, I think, is, you know, un, you know, unleashed a kind of opportunity, you know, and we need to work hard to, you know, integrate that culture along with the studio culture. And we've got a great team of guys that are, you know, just taking it in their stride. It's amazing. Um, and I think some of our conversations and the focus is around, uh, as John says, not just the immediate and all the gimmicks and gadgets that will come to allow us to get back to work but actually how do you properly interrogate that future look of how we're set up and how business how business is set up I think I think that's incredibly exciting actually yeah and for you it's a very pertinent argument isn't it and um, sorry the pertinent debate because of course so much of Orms's work is to do with commercial office development so presumably these clients and your clients are having these conversations as well and yeah, and I think, you know, Louise, it's one of the things that in, in these uh, research projects that we've been looking at over this uh, period of 10, 12 weeks, the thing that we are going to focus on is how we align ourselves with businesses to help them find the right solution. Because rather than imposing our view on design, I think we want to work alongside them to help them set out a strategic vision and find their expression of their business because some businesses may be able to do 100% virtual working and it can work for that business some might not be able to do it at all and then some will have some hybrid in between so I think our, our, our belief is that we can help other businesses articulate that and explore it to then enable a, a vision and brief to come forward that then they can design a, a space that is around how they express themselves as a business. And I think that's where we're looking at the future of the workplace. So I think we're, it's, it's difficult because as many, many architects will try and just dive in and we'll come up and design something. I think we're, we're trying to sort of restrain ourselves from doing that. Look at sort of stages zero and one and say, right, let's think about this, let's listen, let's help the businesses translate what this could actually mean, because there are opportunities to completely reinvent businesses. Well, there's nothing quite so exciting as a blank sheet of paper, really, is there? And, and there's a lot to be said for, you know, periods of uncertainty mean that we can 
embark on creativity without some kind of set idea of what the end product will be, um, which is quite exciting and I think fits into, uh, I've been doing a course in existential coaching, so I'm full of existential thought at the moment. And that's, I think that's a good existential thought, that if you don't know where you're going to go at the beginning, then it opens up, that means that you've got no barriers, you can think more freely. Well, I think that's why the temptation to not impose our design thoughts on the future of, let's say, the workplace is quite important because you know, nobody knows how this is going to pan out over the next few weeks and months and years. So trying to suggest that what we design this week is going to be relevant for the next 12 months is, it feels premature. We've got to accept that these things just need a bit of time to evolve and they may evolve into something really quite exciting. And I think there's always nervousness around change and the risk of change. But I think as, as architects, we're, we're well positioned. Although it has to be said, the profession, they're quite a, we're quite a dour lot. But uh, there, are, there are quite a few of us that are quite excited by opportunity. So um, I think we, we fall into that category. <laughs> I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we will, you know, we sort of say we create an architecture that listens and that can be read at all sorts of different levels, but it ties in for us quite deeply with that idea that John's just been going through the, the sort of expression of an, a, a you know, another business's business. As we look forward, we're excited about that enhanced listening at the start and through listening to each other and finding that solution for them you know, the, the opportunity that's there is, is yeah, it's really exciting. None, none of us can really know what's, what's ahead at the moment in particular, but the EOC, um, it, it provides a, a, a really strong bridge or link, you know, to the wider temperature of the practice. And we need to lead the practice, but, you know, you need to have a bunch of people that are, your, that are following you. You know, you, you're not a leader without followers. And... Um, I think that the EOT and then the EOC that sits within it strengthens that personal connection across the practice to the leadership team. So, um, so you're not just, it's just not white noise that's going out and there's, no, there's, there's nothing coming back because you, you can't really measure the leadership side of that unless you can, but you can measure the, the, the followership coming back the way, if that makes any sense. So, so I, I think that that for us is a really, um, has been really, really important in the last few weeks um, because um, we value that sounding board as we continue to make decisions as the leaders of the practice. Okay, so finally, I wonder if you could each sum up in one or maybe a few words how you see the future. Optimistic for the long term, mm. but flexibility of thought and being on the front mm. foot and positive are all, I mean, this is much more than one word. They're all good ones, though. Are all good. Messages. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Um, this is definitely not going to be one word. Okay. So um, <laughs> the, I, I think the, the thing, the, the biggest thing that um, I believe that we face is that the architectural profession has to completely reposition itself. Mm. And no, it has to do it now. Um, it's something that we're looking at you know, right now in terms of the work that we've been doing over the last 10 or 12 weeks. 
I think if architects believe that they will continue to do what they've been doing over the last 10 years, i.e. just designing buildings, um, I think they're in, they're in for a really big shock. Mm -hmm. I think we need to completely reconstruct how we go about the business of architecture. Mm -hmm. Wow, and that, that sounds from, like another podcast. Well, it, it, you know, from involving yourselves in vision, sustainability, how you detail buildings, how you deliver buildings. I think the opportunity that we are trying to articulate within our business is architecture is not stages two to five in the plan of work, they're stages zero to seven. And it ties in with a whole, if we're to take you know, something like architects declare seriously, the profession has to look at how we set up projects and how we monitor projects and evaluate projects once they're in occupation. Mm -hmm. And you know, this, this is a piece of work that we've been working on to challenge ourselves, but also reposition ourselves and provide a, a suite of different services. Because we're not gonna just be designing buildings in the medium term, we're just not. Because you know, going back to uh, businesses, People are wondering, what am I going to do with this bit of land? What am I going to do with this building that I've got? That's not the same as I've got 100,000 square feet and I need an office. Yeah. People are saying, what, what am I doing with yeah. it? And it's different. It is very different. And uh, there will be practices, um, and I know we're not the only one doing these research projects, but those are likely to be the practices that will survive more readily. Yeah. Got to move with yeah. this. This is a big, big opportunity, not just for us, but for the whole profession. And I think those that embrace it and go with it, I think will be the ones that come out of it stronger. Mm, definitely, definitely. Those, those, those that think that we can just uh, wait till uh, the end of, the lockdown and we'll all be back. It's just not going to sure. happen. That was a soliloquy, John, but, but you know, it wasn't a one-worder. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was good. Both, both fabulous, both fabulous <laughs> answers to a, to a difficult question. So I think we're coming to the end of our time with you. Thank you very much for being part of Coaches on the Couch. Really good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks.